Welcome to session number two of life training with me. And the topic today is we're talking about work and we're talking about rest. And I feel super unqualified to talk about this because ironically I was up for until like 2.45 in the morning last night. I got like two hours of sleep and I spent way more time on this talk than I wanted to. But that's okay. I did manage to brush my teeth this morning, so that was good. That's a good one. Thank you. So, we're talking about work and we're talking about rest. Um, the one thing that I will say about this talk is we are not going to walk away today with this idea of we're just going to, okay, we're just going to sleep more, right? So we just want to make time for sleep and make time for rest. And we're going to work harder, right? I think a lot of the times when we talk about work and we talk about rest, that really is what it just boils down to. But the Bible has a lot a lot to say about work and a lot about rest. Is this thing, okay, it is going. Um, so we're gonna dive in. We're gonna be all over the place. There's not really gonna be one specific verse that we're at uh, today, but we're gonna be mostly in the first three chapters of Genesis. So here we go. So the talk's gonna be kind of outlined like this. We're gonna talk about work and how it's fallen. We're gonna talk about rest and how it is fallen, and then how the gospel changes that and you know, like creates a new reality to where, yeah, work can be redeemed now. Work is redeemed in our lives as believers, and the same goes with rest. So, all right, so here we go. We're going to dive in. So before we get started, we want to define what exactly is work, right? So when you think of work, what do we think about? We think Walmart. We think of some job that we had home, had at home when we were in high school. Uh, there might be a lot of things that we think about when it comes to work, but the Bible makes it explicitly clear in the first three chapters of Genesis that really what work comes down to is it's the essence to create, right? And that's, that's really what work is today, too. So, like, when we're even we're working at Walmart, right, we're creating some sort of a product or helping people uh, create an experience to get a product, right? Um, yeah, and so, so the basis of that is God created us with minds to think Right? So we are, we are fully functioning, we are fully thinking beings, and he created us with hands and with feet to work, right? So we are created with a purpose, and we are designed specifically to be able to work. We are designed to work and create within his creation, right? So the whole point of God creating mankind in the beginning was, one, to have full intimacy, so we could have full intimacy with him, so that he could get glory, and so that we would even be able to create within his creation. John Piper puts it like this. He puts it like this. I think this is really helpful. So this is God. So his primal, his primal work was to create out of nothing. And our ongoing work, so what we are continuing in to do today, is to create out of his creation. Right? So even looking at uh, uh, Genesis in, in Genesis chapter 1. I don't have that one up there. Sorry, guys. I'll just read it for you. Uh, so uh, starting in verse 26, if you guys want to follow along. Um, so then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, right? So our work was not aimless. It was not random. It was not like, all right, we're here. We're going to till the earth and 
and that's all we're going to do because that's what we were put here to do. It's like, no, 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 no. It was creative. It was supposed to produce good, right? So we're supposed to create culture and civilization much like we were today, only this, in this context that we live in, it's fallen. It's, it's extremely imperfect. It's flawed. But this idea is, is that we're supposed to move the ball forward into God's creation, and at the same time, we're living forever with God in perfect intimacy with God. And we're going to talk about intimacy with God later. But specifically right now, we're talking about work, right? So we're going to create culture. We're going to create civilization. We're going to move the ball forward within God's creation. Uh, so in the way, the one, I really, really like the way uh, Joe Rigney put this at conference. So if any of you were, were at conference, the main speaker there was Joe Rigney at Cities Church. In Minneapolis, and he talked about this a little bit. And what he said was this: I thought this was really helpful, and you guys should write this down. So, our main mission, our main goal, our main body of work was: uh, we were, where is that? Sorry, um, we were God's. It was God's man, Adam and Eve, and any of us was in God's land, under God's law, on God's mission. That was the situation pre-fall. We were supposed to move the ball forward within creation, work and create. And we are supposed to take joy in that. It was supposed to be a joyous thing that was like, we love this because we, we're in perfect intimacy with our God. And he's allowing us to create and allowing us to, to work within his creation. Even. And what a blessing that is. And it was, it was joyful. We found joy in this. And on top of that, it's all a pointer to how good our creator is, right? So all the wonderful things that we could even create out of that. And just think about this for a second. Do you ever wonder what it would be like in AD 2017 if the fall never happened, right? Like, what would the reality of our existence be? I mean, I don't even know if we would exist, but like, just think about that. Like, we would be like, we'd be like Asgardians stuff, you know what I mean? It'd be sweet. Um, and like, there's like an infinite amount of possibilities with that, you know. Um, so it's like, does that not make sense? Thor. Yeah. So it's from Marvel. It's from Thor, guys. That's Asgard. That's the place it's from. Sorry, if that didn't make sense. So really, all it is is like pre-fall. What work and what creation is pointing to is it's a picture of paradise on earth. It's heaven, right? It's heaven on earth, and we're active within that. Work is supposed to be something that brings us joy. And that we're supposed to be doing to, to bring glory to God and to revel in. Right? Um, but then the fall happens. The fall happens uh, in God's judgment on Adam's sin and Eve's sin. Specifically, we're going to take a look at what God says to Adam. So that's found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. We're going to read through 19 if you guys are following along. And this is God speaking to Adam, right? So he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat, cursed is the ground because of you. So just think about that for a second. He could have done anything he wanted to Adam because it's his creation. But instead, he takes the one thing where he says, Okay, I want you to take joy in being able to work and to be able to cultivate the earth, cultivate civilization, cultivate culture, create culture, I should say. That doesn't make sense. And then go forward from that. And take joy in that and, and point that towards me. And he says, I'm going to curse that. I'm going to curse that. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be toil. You're not going to enjoy it nearly as much. Right? So uh, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. 
by the sweat of your, fra- of, your, of your face, not the phrase, you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So not only is Adam destined to the, the work that he does, and the work that he's supposed to take joy in, and the mission that he is on, that's cursed. But also, he's destined to die. He's not going to live forever. So Adam is destined to die instead of living forever. So just think about this. Instead of uh, Adam and Eve existing in a never-ending, infinite kingdom on planet Earth filled with all joy, filled with all pleasure, and filled with all creativity, what, he, what it's reduced to is he's, he's destined to have hard labor and toil, and it's only for like a short while, right? And Adam lived to be like 900 and... 40-some years old or something like that. But just think about that. Compared to eternity, compared to the infinity, like, that's, that's, that's not even, like, it doesn't even, doesn't even register. So, uh, he is only there for a short while. And, like, I think one of the things that brings work, it brings joy in us, in our work, is being able to see, like, how is it being used, right? Like, how is our product being used, and what is the state of it in? And I think Adam would never get to see that. And I think uh, in Ecclesiastes, it talks a lot about that too. We'll get there, like, we'll get there in a little bit. But um, So he wouldn't see any of that. He's not able to see us now. Adam and Eve and everybody who's lived previously before us should be here right now experiencing life with us right now. And that's part of the joy that was supposed to be because of the work that he did. Because of the fall, all of that is, all of that is thrown out the window. All of it is thrown out the window. So... So work, instead of taking joy in that and it being a joyous thing, it becomes vain. The God-given mission is lost. Like, it has a lost sense of direction, right? So instead of work being like, all right, we're going to do this and we're going to create and we're going to go forth and we're going we're gonna, to, like, take joy in this. It's like, okay, well, what do we do now, right? Work is essentially just kind of something that you do literally just to survive, you know? And that's the, that's the reality of of work in the fall end, right? Um, and so, uh, sorry guys, I'm all over the place. There's so much good. Um, but I think uh, a, a passage that was really helpful and that you should write down in thinking about like like how work has fallen is actually found in Ecclesiastes, a really, really, really obscure book in the Old Testament. And this is King Solomon talking. So this is Ecclesiastes 2. Uh, verse 18 through 13, uh, not 18 through 13, 18 through 23, here we go. So here's what it says. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows, what, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This, is all, uh, this all is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for him. This also is vanity and a great evil. And then here's, here's the hinging verse. What is a man for all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Oh, I had it up there. That's cool. This, so it's that verse. And I just thought that was really helpful because it's like it's a sobering reality of what work is like in a fallen world. And uh, 
Yeah. So work becomes vain. So you are here and you are gone. Right? The Bible talks a lot about how we are very finite. Right? We don't get to enjoy our work. We don't get to live forever. We're destined to death and we're destined to toil. And it's a repeating pattern over and over again. So really what that sounds like is it sounds like what we share with people on the beach, right? Like it's the bridge diagram. Like there's a specific separation between God and between man. And this is one of the ways that, it, that, that we get separated is because of the work that we do, right? We don't get to enjoy it as we ought to because we rejected God instead of that. And that's part of the bridge diagram that we preach on the beaches and then the people that we work with or whoever we talk to. Uh, yeah, so, so sin completely wrecks the concept of work. So, so I hope that's easy to take notes to. Um, and like I said, if you guys are like confused about where I'm getting this from in the Bible, just let me know because like nothing is more frustrating than like this dude gets up here and says a verse and then like he says it really fast. So, yeah. All right. So next point. All right. So rest is fallen, right? This idea that um, going back into the garden, we're supposed to have perfect and total and complete intimacy with God, right? It says in Genesis that uh, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Like they experienced the presence of God. They experienced the presence of God. And so just think about that. Like, so what does rest mean for us even today? Like there's a lot of things that we can think about. Like, what the concept of rest is, right? And I think what the Bible explicitly explains, like it, it very clearly defines it as, is its intimacy with God. It's the ability to commune and be present and to experience the presence of God. So, and I think that's different. I think it's, there's a difference between doing things that we like and <coughs> relaxing and then finding rest. Right. So doing things that we like, we're able to see more of God because we can experience like, like I really, 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 really enjoy playing pickup basketball. I really enjoy it. And I think I can experience God more through that because God gave that as a gift and said, this is something that I give to you and I want you to enjoy. So you can see glimpses of me in that, you know, like there's enjoyment to be had in that. And there's a billion different things that you could point to and say, man, I really do experience God through that. Right, because it's it's I, I get intense joy out of that, um, but I think that's different than finding rest in the Lord. Right, so true rest is when we are totally intimate with God. Right, it's all about the presence of God in our life. But the reality of it is, is with sin and with a fallen world that we live in, we can't fully and totally experience that in this life. But there's a but. We can't experience aspects of it. And that's the whole point of Bible study training on Fridays, right? The whole point of that is so that you are able to be equipped to think through, okay, how can I be intimate with God, right? So through Bible study and through prayer and through meditation, and Ryan Bell, who's sitting in the back right there, is going to lead you guys through that, right? That's everything that we've talked about, right? Everything that Larry's talked about, everything that Ryan talked about on Friday is all to equip us to how can we become intimate with God? How can we set aside time and really let the word just saturate and soak our lives, right? And let it really affect us and stir our, our affections toward, towards Christ. So being filled with the fullness of God, kind of like we were talking about in Ephesians 3.19, right? 
all of the things, that the list of things that precedes that in Ephesians chapter 3 that allows us to be filled with the fullness of God. Right? So how do we do that? So, yeah, and, and you're gonna, we're going to talk more about that in Bible study training. That's all that, that's there for. And it's, it is unbelievably important. It's unbelievably important because you can do things that you enjoy and it, you're not going to feel rested. Right? I can play basketball all day. And I can play video games all day with my friends. And I can do all these things that I really enjoy. I love going to the movies. I can watch movies all day. And yet, I, my soul and who I am inside of me, I will not feel rested. Because I am not going to the one who can fill me and who can satisfy me. So there is a distinction between doing things that you like and doing things that you enjoy and finding ways that you get to relax and uh, finding rest in the Lord. And you can only find true rest in the Lord. And it's like the whole point of that, like the whole point of the, the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Uh, so there's a, there's, a, there's a quote that by John Piper that I thought was really, really, really sweet, talking about like what the point of even the Sabbath was, because I think we have a really, miscon- like a, there's a lot of misconceptions that come with the concept of the Sabbath, like this idea of finding a place or finding a time of rest. So the whole point or the whole reason for the Sabbath is this. And this is John Piper talking. God's purpose for us on the Sabbath is that we experience the highest and the most intense joy that can be experienced. I'm going to say that again. So that we can experience the highest and most intense joy, namely that we delight in the Lord. So in the Sabbath, in rest, when we truly want to seek rest and to be filled within that, we experience God. When we remember what he has done for us and how he's provided for us and the work that he's done even in our own lives. And we meditate that, about that. And we think about that. And, we like, and, and, it's, and that is where we get filled. Right? So the, the whole idea of the Sabbath is to, is to sit and to wait and to bask. And to be like, I am not my own. Like, even in the stead of everything that's going on, I don't even provide for myself. So, and I think a couple of really helpful verses, so Ben, you can flip to the next, next slide, that talk about this are in the Old Testament. Um, uh, one of them is found in Exodus 31. So, and the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So just understanding that when we are truly at rest, it is we are recognizing and we are meditating and we are focusing on God as the, 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 one, the one person, the one entity and the one being that sanctifies us, that redeems us, that offers us salvation, right? That does the work in our own hearts, that has gone through that transformational process, like the whole, the, the, the whole the theme verse for this, this entire summer. Like it's not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. And just being able to settle on that and to rest in that and to understand that it's not of our own doing. It doesn't fall on us. Um, and then another verse in Isaiah, which I found really, really helpful, is, uh, and this is God talking. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and calling the Sabbath a delight in the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, from the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I think just the, the key phrase there is, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And that is where we find true rest. 
So the whole point of the Sabbath is to point to we need this for ourselves. We need this for ourselves. So, so what do you, uh, sorry, hold on one second. Um, so another, another quote that I found by John Piper that I, would, I found that was really, really helpful as well. Just to go off this, this same concept is this. Uh, he says, if you worked seven days a week in the hot sun to keep life and limb together with scarcely any time for leisure or reflection, would you consider it burdensome if your God came to you with omnipotent authority and said, I don't want you to have to work so much. I want you to have a day in the week to rest and enjoy what really counts in life. And then on top of that, I promise to meet your needs with just six, day, six days of work. That's not a cruel command. It's a gracious gift that he has given to us, right? So the whole point of the Sabbath is to point to God as our provider, right? And that we can't do it on ourselves. And that if we did, I mean, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Um, so my, the, my question to you guys is with the Sabbath and with this idea of rest, just take the Sabbath out of it. It's like, what do you focus on when you think of rest? Do you think of all of the things that you can't do in that time? Or do you think of all the things that you can do? It goes back to like even, even the, very, the very fall of man, right? Um, God said to Adam and Eve, he said, you can have all of these trees. You can have all these trees are yeses, but then there's the one. No. All these trees are yeses. In the same way, God has given us the gift of the Sabbath that says, you may have this so that you can enjoy of me and be filled. But within that, I mean, it's, I think it's just kind of assumed that those distractions, like what we were talking about last week, specifically with technology, like you want to set those aside so that you can truly focus and bask in, like this is our God, and this is what he did for me, and this is where we are going instead of that, right? And this is who our provider is. So the Sabbath was a command for our joy that we would know God as the ultimate source of blessing and salvation and not of ourselves. And we celebrate and we focus on that. Um, so just even, even just thinking about like creation and redemption, where it started, it started with Jesus. Like Hebrews, uh, it talks about like, or I think it's, it's, in, it's in either Hebrews or Colossians. Like God created the world through Jesus and then Jesus paid the price on the cross. And what were his last words on the cross? It is finished. It begins and it ends with Jesus, and we celebrate and we focus on that because that's a good thing. It's not just a good thing. It's an amazing thing. So essentially what God is saying is let my highest creature, my highest creature, the pinnacle of creation that we are, focus on me for one day and realize and really understand and realize that they depend on me and that they let them rest in that and let them delight in that, that I will provide for them in the stead. And I will give them all things, right? Jesus even says himself, seek the king, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what does he say after this? All of these things shall be added unto you. All of these things. All of these things. So why don't we Sabbath? Why don't we rest more? Do we just have too much time? To the point where it's like, are we have so much leisure time where it's like we just lose what that really means in our life? Where it's like, ah, we've done, we've done all these things. We just kind of lose the meaning of really communing and meditating and focusing on resting in God. Or maybe you're on the flip side. It's like, I have zero leisure time. So whenever I get time to myself, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to use that on myself. Which is ironic because, like, if you use that on yourself, you will never in and of yourself be, you will never satisfy yourself. Regardless of what you run to or what you do in your free time, how you use that, Right? 
So because of the fall, it's like what we were talking about last week. It's because of the fall, we are restless. We don't know how to use our time. We're distracted. We're consumed. We are restless. We always are left feeling empty with whatever we are doing. And I think a really, a really helpful analogy that I thought of even like last night with this was if you think of vacation, like I, I need some participation, right? So how many of you guys, when you went on like a family vacation, did your mom or did your dad have, this is the itinerary that we're gonna follow. We're going to the Black Hills, and we're gonna do this, 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 and this on Monday, and then this, 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 and this on Tuesday, right? That was my dad. That was my dad. My dad loved doing that. He was a tyrant with it too. He was straight up just like, this is what we're doing, and we're not doing anything else. And, uh, and, uh, that's how I grew up knowing and understanding vacation. Like our time of family time and our time of rest was we're going to do as many things as possible within seven days, wherever we were. We're going to go to all these museums. We're going to see all these sites. And then I can remember this last year, Reed and Nikki went, Reed and Nikki Jillick, who led our, who led, I was in a junior for them. Uh, they went to Mexico for like five days or something like that. And they came back, I was like, yeah, Reed, what'd you, what'd you do on vacation? He was like, oh, we didn't do much. We just kind of hung out and read books. And I was like, you didn't go like <laughs> snorkeling or anything or anything? Like, it's Mexico, you're on, the, you're on the beach. Like, there's so many things that you could be doing. And you could read a book anywhere. You can literally read a book at any time, at any place. And he's like, no, I just, we, what, me and Nick, what me and Nikki do is just go there, we hang out. We, together and and we we do things that are restful because that's the whole point of vacation they're not i think it's about the way my family did vacation is after we got back we would need a day to what to recuperate or to rest and so it's yeah that's literally how it is and it's the same thing with how we use our time right if you have too much time on your hands or too little on too little time on your hands it's the same exact thing it's the same exact thing right we use our time where it's like we got to do all of these things. We got to fill. We got to go to all these things. We got to knock the list off, and then we'll feel accomplished, and then we'll feel like yes, we have. I have it made. Feeling good about myself, and I can relax. Or maybe that's how you relax is you knock off checklists. I don't think it's very restful, but that's okay. That's just me. So that's the reality of rest. That's the reality of work. Fallen work, and that's the reality of rest. Fallen rest, and I hope that makes sense. Um, there's a lot of scripture, and there's a lot that I didn't read just because we don't have time to go through it. Um, and so, if you have any questions about that, just let me know at the end, um, because the, the Bible speaks to a lot of that. So, we don't know how to rest. We do not know how to rest. Um, and essentially, where we're at is work is vanity, regardless of what you do. So, how does the gospel change that, right? So Jesus enters into the picture, the second part of the bridge diagram, right? He says, I'm going to die for you guys. I'm going to pay the price for your sin. How does that change our reality in a fallen world, right? So we're going to look at redeemed work, and we're going to look at redeemed rest. So in Matthew 11, 28, which is, which is um, a verse that everybody knows, everybody has seen. So Jesus says this, come to me, all, all who labor, all who work, all who are heavy laden, all who work really, really hard. And I will give you what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke up upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is Jesus talking. 
So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? So specifically work, so next slide please. Oh, thanks Ben, you're on top of it. So redeemed work, what does that look like? So work is not an end. It doesn't, it's not just like we work and then we survive and then we die, but rather it becomes for the believer, it becomes a means, right? Work is not something that is vanity anymore, right? So work is not, work is not something that's ultimate, right? Work is not ultimate, producing is not ultimate. In our jobs, we are always, like, the, the goal is to produce as much as we can, regardless of what job you do, right? So I'm a social studies education teacher, uh, and major, and one of my jobs is to help kids to get good grades and to have a good experience at school and to grow in different ways besides just, just academically, like, that's one of the goals, right? So, and there's a measurable, attainable way to do that. And, and it's like that with everything that you do, right? Producing is not the ultimate thing within work, right? Status within that is not work. So climbing the corporate ladder, whatever you do, that's not ultimate either. And next week, uh, we're gonna be talking about money. So usually, hopefully, when you work a job, I would, I would hope that you earn some sort of money and that you're not just, you know, using your time at, for free to help, you know, and that you're making some sort of a living. But this idea that like money is not, money is not everything, right? We work jobs to make money so that we can survive. It's the society, it's the cultural thing that we do. And even in that, that is not ultimate. We're gonna talk a lot more about that later next Sunday, but for now we're gonna focus on this. So uh, work is not ultimate. Rather, what work is, it's a means to share the gospel. It's a means to share the gospel and what the Lord has done in our, our life, the redemptive work that Christ has done even in our own lives. It's a median for that. And I think one thing, uh, one, one verse or one passage of scripture that I think is really, really, really sweet is actually in Acts chapter 18. Uh, so besides Paul being a, a Pharisee and like really high up on like the you know, Jewish leader zealot scale, uh, it says that he was a tent maker by trade, right? So he made tents. And so in Acts chapter 18, he's in some city. It's not Rome. Um, and he finds these Jews. He finds these Jewish believers. And he's like, all right, I'm going to live with you guys. But I make tents. So why don't I go ahead and make tents and then sell them? Right? There's a, so he's earning a living and he's living alongside these people and sharing the gospel, right? Um, and then there's a, there, another passage is in 1 Thessalonians 2.9. Um, this, is, this is, once again, Paul talking uh, to the people in Thessalonians. And he says this. Uh, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. So there was somebody else with him. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any, any of you while we pro proclaim the gospel. While we proclaim the gospel of God to you. Right? So this idea that, that like, Paul is using his work. Right? As a tent maker, as something as simple as making tents. Actually, I don't know if it's simple or not. But he's using that 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 trade to go ahead and try to share the gospel, right? And so I think even that's a that's like a really, really sweet thing that we can see where for two months we're working at Walmart, we're working at Chick-fil-A, we're working at Piggly Wiggly, wherever everybody else works at. Um, and what a sweet testament to what the Lord has done in our lives. To where we can work hard and use that as a medium to share what the Lord has done, even in our lives. And um, it's 
it's, it's a sweet thing. It's a sweet thing. Uh, Philippians 3.8. Um, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It doesn't matter what job you work. It doesn't matter where you're at in your job. It doesn't matter how much money you earn. The point is that you have a job, and you can use that, and you can leverage that for the sake of the gospel, right? And what a calling that is. What a joyous calling that is that we're able to share even with our coworkers within that. So it's a means to share the gospel, and it's a means to enjoy God. It's a, you, you can take joy in God even through this. And that's, part of the, that's one of the things that was, was lost pre-fall, but now you can kind of you can find again uh, after Jesus has come back, he's came to the coming there, died for us, and he rises again. The reality switches for us, and you can actually find that once again in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Do I have this one? I don't have it written down, but I'll read it for you guys. I think this is really sweet. There's nothing better for a person that he, than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving after uh, striving after. So I think even the second part of that, um, uh, I think really parallels a verse that we've gone through several times, uh, not just in life training talks, but also in Bible study training and even in... So Psalm chapter 1, it talks about, it's like this imagery of a tree planted by uh, a river, or like streams of water, right? And it contrasts that with the person who is not, who is not found in, like, meditating and, and delighting in, in the law of God, right? And that person is, the imagery is there's, like, chaff. Like, so when you think of chaff, it's like, uh, you know, like, like, I don't know how many of you are farmers, but, like, you combine, and then the stuff that comes out the back of the combine is like really wispy, dusty crap. That's chaff, and it's blown back and forth by the wind. It doesn't know where it's going. It just kind of goes. And that's kind of the image that you get in this passage where, like, even with something like work, like, if you don't find your enjoyment in God, right, your ultimate source of joy is in God, and through that, that reality of how you use your work changes. Like, it's just, okay, well, you're just blown back and forth by your job, right? Like if your job goes well, you have a good day at work, you're happy. And if you don't have a good day at work or something bad happens, then it's just you're blown back and forth by the whims and by the whims of life. And for the believer, it's absolutely not like that because our our faith is founded in something much, much, much more solid than merely a job. Right? Because our joy doesn't come from our job. Our joy comes from the Lord who provided the job to us. So Work is not an end, but it's a means. Work's not ultimate. It's a means to share the gospel. It's a means to enjoy God. All right, second part. Work. Sorry. Um, where are we at for time? Right, we got nine minutes. All right. Work is not about you. Work is not about you. Uh, this idea that we're just going to do our own thing in our job, and we're going to get ours, and we're going to try to build our own little kingdom up, like similar to what we talked about with technology last week, is, is just, it's a false reality. It's a non-reality. Right, it's it, it's exactly what we were talking about before. With if you're just there and you're trying to produce, like you're not even going to see the ends of that, right? You're not going to see the ends of what your labor really is. Like even if you work at Walmart for 50 years, like you're never going to know how the company fares or how your store did or like, what 
what your department, how your department did, or what the what that looked like in the future. Like that's just the reality of it. And that's just that's a dumb analogy, right? But you're never going to see the end of that. So it's work is not about you. Work has never been about you. Work should never be about you. Um, but rather, we work for our Creator, right? So. Once again, a really, really common verse uh, found in Colossians. There's two different verses there. So Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in order to eat, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And then in, uh, and then in 23, in chapter 3, 23 through 24, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. And that specifically is talking about more like bond servants. But there's a similar verse found in Ephesians, which we're all, we're like in the future, I don't know, it's two weeks from now, we're going to take a look at chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 5, it says this. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. So that same reality for bondservants where you should work heartily as for the Lord is also true for those who are free, right? And so in our culture, like there's, slavery is not a thing anymore. So we are able to do that now. We're able to do that and we're free to work heartily and do our best and produce a good work because Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything within our work, right? It's not vanity anymore. Uh, so we work for our creator. We work for others, right? So Matthew 5, 15 through 16 says, nor do people, this is Jesus talking about. And so the context is he's preaching. That's the context. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, put on a stand, and he gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they can see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we should, and I, I, I'm sorry I didn't have this one written down, but I think that one's really helpful. Because what I really think that's pointing to is, it's not just like the good deeds that we do that people can delight in and say and point to our Heavenly Father. But I really do think that, like even in our jobs, if we're doing a good work, like if we're doing a good job, we're producing well, and we're being an asset, like people are going to see that. And that's motivation to do well, you know? So we talked little bit this week about taking extra long breaks, you know, like, so we're not going to, like, eat it out now, a little past the 15 minutes, maybe 25, approaching a half an hour, and I would say that's just, that's not a testament to letting your light shine, right, that's taking advantage of something, and people do notice that, and people obviously noticed it because, you know, like, it was reported to us, and I just think, you know, like, like, the calling that we have is higher than that. We are actually called not only to do the same amount of work as the people at Walmart, but honestly, I think we're called to do, to try to do better. Not, not out of a, like, I can do this better than you, but rather it's like, okay, I'm here for eight, nine hours of the day. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to work as hard as I can, not so that I can, like, feel good about myself, but rather so that people can look at me and be like, what, man, what's different with you, you know? Like, I was, even, I was even talking to one of my best friends of all time, Britt Gagne, has, uh, and some of, you, some of you know Britt, but um, Britt went to summer training project the last two summers, and like, I even knew him before he transferred to Northwestern. But uh, this dude has the, like, the best work ethic I've ever seen in my life. 
he was he worked uh, dairy over at Guard City and Walmart, like the Guard City Walmart, the last the the previous two summers, and he was slaying in the dairy section, just slaying. And people noticed that. People came up to him at Walmart and they're like, what is your deal? Why do you work so hard? He's like, well, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus changed my reality. Jesus changed my life. And now I'm able to work hard and take joy in that. You know? And the same can go for us. The same exact thing can be said for us. Um, so we work for our creator and we work for others. And then the final point is, Instead of making work about yourself, how about you die to yourself? Um, and it's like a really sobering thought, really sobering reality. But it's worth it. It's really, it really is worth it. Mark chapter 10, he talks about that. All right, so this is Jesus talking once again. Um, and uh, he's talking about like giving everything up. And then Peter pipes up and he's like, hey, Jesus. See, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus is like, man, Peter, you're missing the whole point. Jesus says, truly, I say to you that there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. So it's not just going to be all sunshine and roses, but... And in the age to come, eternal life. So what that is pointing to is like when you give your life, when you give your life away to other people, it's not really it's not really like a, a trade because you're just getting something that's so much better, right? We're attaining Jesus, and not just a relationship with Jesus, but all of the promises of the Bible are true in Jesus. And Jesus Himself even says like it's not even a trade because you're going to gain so much more. You're going to gain so much more from this. So. Work is not about yourself. Die to yourself. If we focus on the eternal, we can enjoy work more. And uh, it's like we were saying the other day um, with Mark 8, uh, 34 to 36. You know, whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. Right? So, yeah. All right. We're going to – how much time we got left? Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. Okay. Last point. Uh, redeem rest. Uh, it no longer becomes a thing that we can, that we can never experience fully. Uh, because we have full access to God. We have full access to God. Uh, we just don't have direct intimacy with God, right? We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and we have increased intimacy because of that, right? So we can come to God uh, and, uh, and experience that. Um, he, I mean, the Bible even speaks of, you, you come to me, uh, and, and I mean, if, like, oh gosh, I'm lost here. I'm looking at the wrong verse. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, I was looking at the wrong verse. Okay, here we go. Um, so, like, and we rest from our good works uh, because they're being good enough. Gosh, these, all these passages are really long. I'm sorry, guys. But basically, what I'm trying to say is, with this last two minutes, is that the, the reality of rest changes because we have the Holy Spirit within us. And that gives us peace. That, that gives us, that, uh, like it says in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? So we are able to go to work now, and we are able to experience life, um, and we don't have to worry about being good enough. Right? Uh, in Hebrews 4, 8, it says, uh, through 11, it says, um, uh, For Joshua, give them rest. God will not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest of the people of God, whoever is entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his, right? So in the same way that Joshua led the people 
of Israel into the promised land to find rest, which they ultimately didn't. We are looking to a better rest in heaven in the age to come. And we don't have to work, we don't have to strive after that. It says, it says in, in verse 10, whoever has entered God's rest, whoever has faith in Jesus, has also rested from his works. So the onus is not on us anymore. The onus and that the point is not us anymore, but rather it's that Jesus has paid for that. And there's intense joy and there's intense rest in that, right? So I'm out of time. I'm sorry I didn't get to finish my talk, guys. Um, I hope that made sense, though, because uh, there's a lot, a lot that the Bible talks about. And I wish I could finish up that section of Redeemed Rest. But so we have five minutes left. Uh, if you are at the chapel and you need to go, go. I'm really sorry I hated you guys. So, yeah. All right. Ready? Just make sure that you clean this room as you leave. <laughs> <laughs>